Welcome to the Old Chick Snow Shit Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Ship podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about women in business, and most specifically, as we always do on this podcast, uh, midlife women in business. And today I have with me Juju Hook, who is a coach. She's an author. She's a speaker. And her mission in the world is to help midlife women entrepreneurs uh, build their brands and be successful. So welcome, Juju. Happy to have you on board with us. Thank you. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Perfect. So tell us a little bit, like everybody who listens to the podcast knows, I love to start with story. So tell us a little bit about your midlife transformation shift, kind of what that looked like, who you were, what happened along the way, and then who you are now, how, how things changed. Oh my gosh, that's a that's quite a story. So I was a <laughs> I was a brand strategist for many years. Came straight out of college when I was young and got a job in the financial industry and worked my way up to become an executive marketing executive in the financial industry. And then I worked for Jacuzzi and ran brands for Jacuzzi. And when our son was born in my mid thirties, I opened my own agency. I didn't want to travel anymore, and it just seemed like the like the right step for me. So I opened a boutique branding agency and I served banking and automotive and was quite successful at it. I opened the agency in 2001 and it was open for about 14 years when I started to have some feelings, right? These midlife feelings. <laughs> the feelings. And yes. I think at first I wasn't really in touch with what the feelings were right? And I started to try to avoid them. And that manifested itself in a sort of a nice, a well-developed Pinot Noir habit. I had a nice relationship <laughs> with a bottle, nightly bottle of Pinot Noir. I was very overly involved in my teenage son's life and just kind of restless and, and right. maybe a little bit bored and unfulfilled. And I had reached that point I strive so hard to re reach, which was I was making great money and I wasn't really having to work super hard, right? right. It was like right. the pinnacle of what I thought yeah. amazing was going to be. Right. But then I had a lot of time with just me and my thoughts, right? And there was not a whole lot of good stuff going on up there. So I had a moment when I realized I was going to lose a big client. It was a national client. I had a big team working on the account and I kind of panicked. And I thought, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to replace this work. This is, mm. you know, what, what if they're looking for a younger agency? This was my thought. You know, I don't really know if I'm relevant anymore. I'm 47. I wasn't born digital, right? I was born <laughs> analog, right? Everything's <laughs> right. moving digital. It's all moving so fast. Like, I don't even really know how to take a great selfie, right? How can I call myself a an, an branding agency? And I just kind of panicked. And it led to a dirty martini night, which I talk about at length in my book. And I woke up the next morning, you know, head pounding, really doubting a lot of things. And right. 
we had a flood in our house that morning. My in-laws were here. It was just like a super kind of Jerry Springer show morning where everything (laughs) went wrong. And in the midst of it, I realized I had forgotten to wake up my teenager, which is, was total nonsense, right? Like what kind of grown woman is waking up a 13 year old. And we had just settled into that, that, that flow, he and I, where I was overly involved and doing things for him I didn't need to do. And it exploded. He, we got in an argument. I woke him up. It got ugly. We said terrible things to each other in front of my mother-in-law. Even when I think about it now, it's a very shamey moment in my Mm -hmm. life. And he crawled out the window of this, our second story house into a rainstorm, ran away you know, that he was going to run away right before school in the morning to big show. And (laughs) I called my husband, we were working apart that week. And he said, don't, don't go after him. Right. You can't, he can't hold us hostage in our own house. He'll come back. And he did. He came back. I think my mother-in-law might've coaxed him in with some, some bread and tea. I'm not going to lie. You know, (laughs) German women, they know how to feed teenagers. And I put him in the car and I drove him to school wet and angry, both of us wet and angry and dropped him off. And about just moments later, I was on my way home and the principal called. And he was a guy who I really liked and really respected and had a really great relationship with. And he said, hey, what's going on at your house? Like (laughs) Christian seems really stressed. He seems really angry and out of it. And it seems like he's under a lot of pressure. What's happening? And I kind of went off and said, you know, Christian's not doing what he needs to do. And he's not studying. He's not applying himself. He's not taking it seriously. What if he just skates through life, right? What if he's always mediocre? He's never going to get into college. Just la, 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 la. The things that every mother has said about her child. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. And I was just so caught up in the moment. And he stopped me and said, hey, listen, I wouldn't say this to a lot of parents, but I feel like you and I have a, have a relationship and I can tell you the truth. And I don't think this is about him. Mm. I think this is about you. Right. And it sort of stopped me in my tracks. And I knew in that moment that it was truth, right? It was just one of those things where somebody says to you and, and yeah. you're like, I'm not really sure if I feel relieved that I've been called out or outraged that someone would say such a horrible thing to me. Right. Right. But it was right. All right. True. And so in the day, he said, I think you should go do something that terrifies you. I don't think Christian needs you that way anymore. I think you need something to do that's a quest. You need to put your your energy into something else. And I just knew it was true. And in the days and weeks that followed, it was like dominoes falling. I had a the realization that I'd never really given myself a chance, that I'd kind of created a shadow career next to the career that I really wanted, which was to be a writer and to write my own words. And I'd written thousands and thousands of words about individual retirement accounts and anti-lock breaks and, you know, stuff that had no meaning in my life. And it was a shift for me and it sent me off on a journey in, in the last five years and my whole life has changed. It's so interesting that you say that because like, so I worked, I had a long career in the financial industry as well in credit cards. And I remember so distinctly one day sitting in a boardroom and thinking like, do I really care that much? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This, do I? Mm -hmm. Like, does it mean anything to me? You know? And I think, I think every woman listening here will probably have that moment where all of a sudden you realize like, maybe my life is kind of devoid of meaning. Right. I think that's what it felt like in the moment, but I was in with what the meaning of it was when I was young. And, you know, I I don't know if every woman shares this, but when I was young, the meaning of it for me was that 
I wanted to be part of it. I wanted a seat at the table. I wanted to be recognized. Yes. I, I had six brothers. You know, I, I forced my way back into MBA school when I couldn't balance my own checkbook, right? <laughs> like I had a lot to prove. And I was taught to compete. I was taught to compete with other women. I was taught to, there was only so many seats, right? And so when yeah. I was young, the meaning of it for me was what I was about, about what I could do. And I think- yeah. What happens to so many of us in midlife is the call to contributions different. Yeah. Yeah. And so now I'm not contributing to my own advancement. I'm contributing to a shift for a whole lot of women. And that feels different. It's a different, I'm at a different spot. Yeah. Yeah. There is actually a term. I don't know if you've ever heard this term generativity. No, it's a psychological term. I think it was coined by Young, Carl Young, and it talks about the the desire to leave a legacy or to have yes. a contribution outside of yourself. And yes. they've actually termed because it's so common around amongst midlife people, not just women, but to have meaning and to feel like you are contributing outside yes. of yourself. And that's generativity is a stage that all of us in midlife face. <laughs> I think too from a strictly from a physical shift, just, you know, from a point of physicality well, as a woman, right? Once the hormones started to kick in and that parenting phase really is on its way out, I think mm -hmm. if we are not in touch with the shifts in those feelings around insight and around what we need to parent, right? Whether we have kids or not, right? right. What we need to mother, what, how that shifts, it feels like loss, and when we're really in touch with it as a transition and what opens on the other side of it, we can have a different perspective. But as long as we sit in that place of loss, it all feels dark and bad and like an ending. And it's not really a fair assessment at all of what's happening. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that you just brought this up, like the word grief, because I feel like that's really important because you're right. It is a massive sense of loss of your physical self, your, your kids, yeah. maybe your career, like if you've you know left a job or been pushed out of a job or yes. whatever. But the thing is, I think was we don't actually see it that way. Like we've been taught that grief is like, oh, somebody died or things like that. When yes. We can, in fact, be grieving the loss of things like our bodies. Right? Yes. Yes. Right. Like, yeah. and we don't give ourselves permission to, to actually grieve. And I think that's such an important stage. Um, I think, I think so yeah. too. We also don't give ourselves a plan for what's going to happen after the fact, right? Like yeah. all of us are taught when we're little to dream about our life yeah. and the dream goes until about 45 or 50. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what, that's the dream we supply ourselves with. I'm going to yeah. get this kind of education or have this kind of job. I'm yep. going to have this kind of family, whatever yep. that looks like. And I'm going to complete these things. And yeah. then we get there. <laughs> so true. Like, what, what do I do now? Right. And yeah. nobody ever told me there's going to be this amazing moment in the middle of your life where you get to stop and do it all again, because you have that much time left again. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and that conversation, if women were having it, like if around the time that we were in our late thirties and paramount about pause was beginning or the time that our kids were hitting puberty, we started to think about, Hey, yeah. what am I going to do in five years? Yeah. We'd be really set, but nobody talks about that. No, because <laughs> the message in society is like, okay, now you're on the downhill slope. Just start yeah, wrapping yeah, it up, get ready to, that's right. 
for 35 years. For 35 years. Nothing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, and when you think about it, this is a long stretch of life. Like you've got 30, maybe 40 years. More time left than you did in the first half of your career. Yes. Yeah. And so that I just made that my life's work. Yeah. This story, this idea. So how did you get from, okay, I need to do something different. And how did you end up working with midlife women entrepreneurs? Tell us that. So that was it also a little bit of a circuitous route. So I told my husband I didn't want to replace the client at the agency and, you know, wide eyes from him, right? We're both entrepreneurs. And he was like, well, what, what do you think you want to do? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I think maybe I want to be a motivational speaker, right? This was right. Where, where my head was. And he said, what does that look like? And I didn't know. And so he asked me, how long do you think it'll take to replace the income that you have from the agency? And I said, can you, can you give me five years? And we were you know, thankfully we were in a space where we had planned for that and we were beginning to, you know, build both of us, build on the businesses that we'd had. And so my first thought was I wanted to talk to other women, right? Like I had this feeling that (laughs) I have all these things I want to do that I haven't done. And for me, many of them were creative. Like I want to write a book or I want to have a blog. I want people to hear what I have to say. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't altogether sure that what I had to say was universal. I thought maybe it was just happening to me, right? Right. So I started talking to other women first kind of casually and then officially. Then it became sort of a research project about what, if you could be doing anything you wanted right now, what would you be doing? And none of the women wanted to do what they were doing right now. Like they were, they were done, right? Like I'm done. I've done this for a long time and I'm finished. But the things they told me they wanted to do were completely doable and they saw them as un- Doable, doable as impossible. Yeah. So for instance, I went, I went snowboarding. I took our son snowboarding and there was a bunch of other moms one night, you know, we're all sitting at happy hour. And I asked them all, if you could do anything you wanted to do right now, what would you do? And one woman said, I would be a high school girls basketball coach. And I thought, well, why would you not do that? I said, do you play basketball? She said, yeah, I played college basketball, but since I got married, all I've done is raise kids. Right. Well, raising kids and playing college basketball exactly qualifies you to be to be a college <laughs> basketball yeah, coach. Yeah. We need women coaches, right? So it was just woman after woman after woman that I talked to who had these really achievable life goals. Yeah. And at the same time, they held in their minds this lie that the older we get, the less we're worth. And so if I want to start now, or if I want to repurpose what I know, or if I want to go out and get things done, either I'm running out of time or I'm running out of energy or I'm invisible or nobody's going to listen to me. Well, and too, I mean, a lot of it again comes back to, and I got to say this so often, societal messaging where our value is in our looks and our ability to reproduce. So yes. okay, when that's no longer around and my kids are gone, what do left? I do? And yeah. here's the truth. It's and, such and, bullshit. <laughs> and the truth that I discovered is that our value is at its highest right now. Exactly. So as I was talking to this woman and I could see these lies, I could see everybody caught up in them. I decided to write a book. And that was my big, scary thing. And so I wrote a book called Hot Flashes, Carpools, and Dirty Martinis, The Quintessential Guide for Turning Midlife into Primetime. And then I joined a public speakers group. I joined a, a small collective of women with a coach that were all all wanted to get on a stage. Right. And what happened as I went through this collective with these women is that my road to the stage was faster than theirs because I understood branding, because right. I had 
done this work for so long. I had mastery in this work. And it was really clear to me how to, how to express my message, how to speak in a way that people would respond, how to attract people, how to, how to follow the instructions that she gave us. Mm -hmm. And as I was watching the other women struggle, we were in a kind of a mastermind situation. I was giving advice and giving advice. And ultimately the women inside the group started to come to me for advice. Right. And then that was when the coach said to me, Hey, listen, you're seeing your old career and your new career as two different things. And they're not two different things. It's a redirection of your mastery, right? It's a repurposing of what you already know. And then a light bulb went off and I started to sell that and to talk about that. And women responded and everything shifted. And it became really clear to me that my role now is to teach other women how to do exactly that, right? How do I repurpose in a way that I love my day, but I don't have to go out and learn a whole bunch of new stuff. Right, right. So I saw you mention somewhere that you noticed like a key difference between um, midlife women entrepreneurs and the rest of the pack that they stood out. Like what was it yes. specifically about that that really kind of struck you as in the undersell? <laughs> the undersell. So that okay. came to me when the very first thing I did when I went to create an online presence was I made a course called Unforgettable You, where I t- essentially taught entrepreneurs the real way to brand. We have this this misnomer that branding is logos, colors, and fonts, and it's not at all, right? right? So the idea was to show people the strategy behind branding and to get them to do the real work. And what I saw when I took people through the course was that the midlife women had the strongest goods to make a brand. Mm. Everything that you really needed to build a brand, midlife women had. They had the mastery. They had the the all of the experience. They had the depth of character and an understanding of what their values really are and where mm-hmm. they stand on things. Just everything you need for it to make a sticky brand. But they were the least willing to own it. So right. I met younger women and younger men who would say, I'm this and I'm this and and here's why you should buy from me, right? True or not. Right. (laughs) They were early in their career. And then I would have these 50-year-old women in front of me who were all power all the in every way. And they're discounting. They're literally discounting their efforts, discounting their pricing, discounting their abilities, because they were reflecting back what the world had told them about themselves. And it was just this light bulb moment for me of, oh my gosh, we've been branded. We've all allowed the world to brand us. And it's time to take it back. It's time to own our greatness. It's time to rebrand ourselves. Yeah. And it was was very clear to me. Wow. So, I mean, you and I do very, very similar work in the world. I mean, and we could have this conversation like (laughs) till the cows come home. (laughs) But like, yeah, this complete abdication of power almost that happens when you reach this point. And then when you look at it and you look at these women and you're, and you're just seeing like all of this awesomeness, like all of this knowledge yes. and experience and wisdom and like, you know, yes. and, and then you're like, it's such a disconnect, like totally, it's such totally. a disconnect. Yeah. But, but, you know, people are firing these messages at us, like $350 billion a year in anti-aging. I know, right? And there's nothing in it that makes us live longer. We're not aging less. We're just slathering stuff all over ourselves to make us look like we haven't aged as much as we have. And if somebody spends $350 billion firing messages at you, at some point you're going to believe them. Otherwise, the money's not well spent, right? And I think I knew because I spent the whole first half of my career creating those very messages in industries, 
I started to reverse engineer it. And, you know, at one point I did a speech where I talked about if people develop today, if they started with an anti-elbow industry and they just started <laughs> firing messages at you, telling you that your elbows were unsightly and that your elbows were a sign of weakness and a sign of undesirability, we would do the same thing. We'd start shooting fat into our elbows and try to make yeah. them disappear, right? Yeah. You'd, you just, it's nonsense. It's, yeah. It, it's, it's really damaging. It is really damaging. And when you consider like what the world is missing out on for yes. every time a woman takes a step back and, you know, from her power and, you know, buys into the limiting belief that we've been served up, like the world is missing out on something incredible. Totally. And, you know, one of the things that happened to me early on that's interesting is I joined this mastermind group that I didn't really have any business being in. I kind of stumbled into it and it really played up on my own feelings of irrelevance because it was mostly younger male oh. uh, conversion specialists, online conversion right. specialists, pro, <laughs> pro marketers, right? Right. So right. now I'm in this, now I'm, all I'm really doing is feeding the feeling. And I've what was there, by the way, I know that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. what am I doing here? And in the beginning, I didn't even have the presence of mind to say, I chose to be in the wrong spot. In the beginning, I just adopted, wow, I'm really behind. <laughs> I'm really, I yeah. really, I, you know, I, I need, I got to step up my game. But what I found was when I talked about this idea of relevance and that women are, that this is prime time, essentially for women, these men, these 25 and 30 year old men, every single one of them said, I need you to talk to my mom. I want you to talk to my mom. I know because she doesn't know what to do with herself and she feels useless and she feels helpless and she's so amazing. That's what they all said. My mom is so amazing. My mom could do anything and she's not doing anything at all. And so that was a real validation for me too, that these women were wasting it, wasting prime time, right? Reruns yeah. in yeah, prime yeah. time. Yeah. And why, I mean, and, it, and what's I find so interesting as well too, and, and I think you alluded to this earlier is we're all going through the same thing at some yes. point. Like it's, it's a common occurrence yes. in all of us women reaching midlife, yet we all portray this notion that we've got it all together, right? Yeah, like, oh, okay, you know, like right. it's all good. It's all good. And we're not talking about it. We're not even talking to each other about it until, like you said, you open the door, you ask the question and then you get like the Fire hose. Yes. Right? Like uh, uh, this idea that we're all going to try to not look 50. Yeah. What? How, how is that what we would spend our effort on? And why? Yeah. They're, like there's shame associated with it. That's the reason totally. why we're not talking about it. Right. Totally. I, I asked women if they would be a, in a street team for my book when it first came out. Right. And it was so telling. I had one woman say, I wouldn't want anyone to think I'm in menopause. <laughs> What? Like, and everyone yeah. in the world is going through it. There's no way to avoid menopause. It's a, I know. It's a fact of life. So the idea that as women, it would be shameful for people to know that you experience it is so, there's an internalized misogyny there yeah. that's awful. It shouldn't be. Yeah. Well, and I remember, you know, wanting to have the conversation so I had a trainer and she was young. She's probably, yeah. you know, 30 or so. And like, you know, having going through like 
night sweats and wasn't sleeping. And I yeah. would drag myself to my 6am training session. And I was like barely <laughs> able to function, Yes, but I didn't want her to know. So I would like push, 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 and just try and do the thing. You know what I mean? Yes. And then I would go home and like, sometimes it would be like hard for me to get ready to go to work. Yeah, yeah. I just I'm like down in the shower. <laughs> I'm so exhausted. Until one day, you know, I finally just said to her, I didn't sleep last night. I'm not sure I can do this. And she's like, oh, why didn't you sleep? And then I had ended up spending my whole session explaining menopause to her because she didn't know. And she's like, oh my God, I had no idea. So that sent her down a rabbit hole, right? Of now researching, which was immensely helpful to me. But do you know how long it took me to have that conversation with her? Right. And And how easy would have been to find a (laughs) 50-year-old trainer? Well, that never occurred to me. (laughs) Right. But yeah, it was the same thing. And then for, and it was a gift for her. And she was like thanking me for it. Cause she's like, half the women I'm working with are like your age. Mm -hmm. And like, they're all doing this and nobody's telling me. Right. And And then she's like, then it's, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, again, it's like the, the most shameful secret we all have that, you know, we're hiding from. And it's like the most natural like puberty, for goodness sakes. I call it like the second puberty. I'm yeah. Can you is. imagine if we, when we were 13, someone said, oh my gosh, you're about to get your period and it's going to be downhill from here on out. <laughs> like know, that's right? it right it's over now. That's, that's your body shifted <laughs> and it's all done. You're worthless from here on out. Yeah. And, but it's not like that. And so I think this, all of this discussion needs to be up there out in the yeah. open. Yeah. And the other thing that happens around the menopause discussion is that what we end up commiserating because there's so much negativity and worthlessness associated with it. The conversation becomes, oh, I hate this. This feels terrible. Here's what's going on with me, you know, blah, 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 blah. And when it could be a conversation around what are you doing to maximize your health? Exactly. Right. How are you making the most of this? What it what because there are tons of solutions out there to these issues, tons, yeah. you know, and we are not having those conversations. No. And menopause is actually a gift in so many ways. Like it totally. is a gift in so many ways that we just, again, have never been taught and we just can't see because we're so very deep in whatever symptom it is we're experiencing yes. at that particular moment. But like, correct, you know, like so many gifts, like shifting of purpose and perspective, right? Having time, yes. more time to yourself. Like for a lot of us, and it was for me, menopause was a wake up call that I needed. It was like, oh, stuff's changing. Like, you know, in the physical world. And then yes. all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. Yes. It's changing everywhere. <laughs> right. And you know, my physical body right now is in a lot of ways to me preferable than the body I had before menopause when I'm honest about it. Like I have symptoms in menopause, but I had symptoms before menopause. Hmm. Right. You know, like a lot of women I know once they're in their between 35 and 50 have all kinds of trouble every month with their reproductive system. Right. So this idea that the menopausal symptoms are this new thing, it's not sickness in the same way pregnancy is not sickness. Right. We're not diseased or sick we're transitioning, our bodies are transitioning. And and with it comes also massive amounts of insight. Almost every woman I know who goes through menopause has these insights and calls, right? We're called to circle back to things. We're called to contribute. We understand things on a new level. It's like this, it's like this, all of a sudden, 
this, oh man, right? This is related to this is related to this. And, and there's so much power in it. Yeah. I mean, I talk about that all the time as being like your soul's voice gets much, much louder at that point. Right. Like it's like this thing that's always been there, but you've been too busy to pay attention because you got all the stuff going on. Yes. Right. And then all of a sudden the stuff starts to quiet down a little and this voice pops up and then you're like, what, what is this? (laughs) Like who, you know, I think we trust the voice more too. I think when I was younger, I had, I, you know, we all have voices in our head, right. And they're not necessarily very nice. And I know the voice in my head is not really reliable, but the voice in my soul and in my heart is reliable. So reliable. Yeah. And I, when I was younger, I wasn't searching for that voice. I didn't count on that voice. And as a midlife woman, I'm giving myself as much white space as I can to access it, to hear it, right? Because that's the voice that's guiding me to everything now. And it's right. It knows. Exactly. Exactly. You know, in the Japanese culture, and I've often thought about this, and I've now been reading a lot about this. So in the Japanese culture, the term they have for menopause, is trans- the translation of it is new spring. So it's yes. the, the indication of a beginning. And what's interesting, is, the correlation to that is that Japanese women compared to North American women have far less menopause symptoms than we do like in the North American culture, right? And you it wonder like- Right. So you shift the perspective on what this time of life is and you now like look at it as being ushered into a new phase and it's something new and exciting. Like your body's responding to that. When you're going into something with fear and dread and shame, your body's also responding to that. So it's like, if we can shift the perspective on literally menopause, like, yes, the downstream impact of that is so huge. I think the shame perspective on a lot of things, right? Like there were a lot of physical things, a lot of choices that I made that fed my menopausal symptoms. Wine was one of them. And I've talked to so many women who have this issue that, you know, I had a great relationship with a bottle of wine until the day that I didn't. And the wine fed my hot flashes. It fed a lot of the issues that I was feeling. And I had shame around the wine. Yeah. So I had to unwind that shame too, right? This this idea of how do I get what I want? How do I make the shifts that I want? And the shame in general around anything is so unuseful because we can't can't make the transitions. We can't go get what we desire if there's shame around the point we're at now. It's it's, it's too hard to step through. Right. So I think that, and then the shame comes with the labels. Yeah. With the stories, right? So I think that's another thing I see women so often just spinning out in shame around the, around habits or choices or where they're at that really don't warrant shame at all. No. Well, exactly. And shame cannot survive being spoken, right? Which is all the more Correct. reason why we need to like come together and start having this conversation. Yes. Because as soon as you see another person in the same place, it's like somebody just lifted a brick off the top of your head. Correct. Correct. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And it's, there's so much permission there. There's so much, you know, body shape changes too. Right. And we have so much shame around that. So much shame around this, our our shifting shape. Yeah. And I, I don't know, there are things about my shifting shape I'm kind of liking right now. And I own it in a very Mm -hmm. real way. And so I think, 
that's probably the greatest gift that we can give one another is this shift away from shame and toward embracing it, right? Celebrating it. For sure. For sure. And let's just talk about your book for a second. You talk in the book about six lies that keep women stuck. What are, what are those lies? So the first one I call the lie of noble selflessness, this idea that <laughs> if I give myself away to everyone else, it's noble. Right. And, my, you know, my mom lived this lie. We had seven kids and my mom lived that lie every day of her, you know, midlife. And I lived it for a long time until I realized that it wasn't good for me or anybody else for me to be selfless. The lie of irrelevance. and. Right. I think the the idea around irrelevance is that we have the perspective backwards. So yeah. we see, are we relevant to the world? And th- this is what we tell ourselves: I'm no longer relevant, right? Mm. And the truth is different things in the world are relevant to me. I find relevance in different things. And so the shift isn't around how do I get people to still see me the same way? The shift is where am I going to put my time? Where am I going to put my intention? What am I going to take in? What am I going to experience on a daily basis that's relevant to me? Yeah. And there's real power in that shift. Yeah. That is huge. And that is so beautiful because you're absolutely right. It's another shift in perspective, right? Yeah. I mean, this idea of I'm not relevant to my kid. Like I watched my mom go through this with music with my brothers where she felt that she needed to really buy into their music so she would be relevant to them, which was hard for my mom. You know, she's, it was a lot of Led Zeppelin. It was a lot, it was a lot for her to take. No, none of which was necessary. None of which was necessary. It would have been enough for her to celebrate their interest in it. And yeah. find what was relevant to her. Yeah. And in that way, she would have stayed in power and she would have stayed in joy. And I think that that's a big shift for a lot of us. The same way with our news feeds, you know, we're on social media and our, our feeds are full of all these things where we feel we've lost our relevance. And if you just shift what you look at, what's relevant yeah. to you, oh, yeah. it's, you know, yeah. I think we have a lie around diminished capacity. Mm. We tend to think of ourselves as light bulbs, like there's only so many hours in a bulb and (laughs) we're going to burn out, which is totally untrue. It doesn't happen. It's the reason that we burn out is because we're disinterested. Yeah. And I often talk about this, like within my own community, about when you are serving and giving from a place of obligation and duty and, you know, and lack of self-care, yes, you're going to burn out. But when you are serving from a place of authenticity and joy and purpose, you could go forever. Like you could be 95 years old, you know what I mean? And you'd still be going strong because it's what you're tapping into as a renewable energy source, as opposed to that other one, which is completely depleting. I completely agree. And I think the idea of creating that midlife plan, that Mm -hmm. stop and assess midlife plan. Yeah is really about choosing things that you could see yourself doing all the way until that point. The idea of coaching and being on a stage at 75 years old is thrilling to me. Absolutely. I can't wait to see what I'm going to be doing at 80. I I feel the same. I feel the same way. (laughs) Yeah. Totally feel the same way. Yeah. 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 And what are the last two lies we tell ourselves? We have a lie around impropriety. Mm. That's not appropriate for me. Wow. It's not appropriate for a woman of my age. 
Again, BS social conditioning. Not appropriate, right? I have women tell me it is not appropriate for them to roller skate. Really? Who made that rule? Wow. Where did that even come from, right? These pants are not appropriate. It's not appropriate for me to have holes in my jeans. According to whom? Yeah. Or even the myth about how long your hair should be at a certain age. I'm like, that is so freaking bizarre. Nonsense. (laughs) Nonsense, right? Like you are a grown woman. What's appropriate in your life is, you know, it's your choice. You're deciding all this. Yes. You're a grown ass woman. Make your own decisions. Yeah. 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 That's so I'm I'm blanking out on the last one as we move forward. I don't have a book in front of me. That's okay. These are like fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. They're, and or they're the same lies. Women tell you the same lies over and over and over again. Oh yeah. And we're all like, again, we're all singing the same song, but we're just singing it inside quietly to ourselves. The the empty hourglass is the last lie. And that is that I don't have enough time to do what I want to do. Yes. And I think we really lose track of how little time it takes to learn something new. You know, you can Mm. be proficient at something enough to enjoy it in 50 hours. So if you decide that you want to golf or if you decide that you want to play the piano or you decide that you want to start a blog or start a podcast or whatever, in 50 hours, you can be good enough at it to really enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, that's an hour. That's an hour a week for less than a year. Yeah. Yeah. And we sit around and say, well, I'm too old for this and my ship has sailed and blah, 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 blah. And a year from now, you could be rocking this new thing. Five years from now, you could be owning it in a way that as an expert. Yeah, exactly. But oh we God. have this weird lie that, oh, you know, empty hourglass, right? I don't have enough, to, enough time. If only I had done that when I was 20. Yeah. Or that all of a sudden your brain loses its capability for learning something oh, yeah. new. You're like, mm, no. <laughs> what true. I do know is we're uncomfortable learning new things. Yeah. We joke, my husband and I joke that we know everything now. And since our teenager knows everything, everyone at our house knows everything, right? It's like, <laughs> raise your hand if you know everything. So I do know that midlife women aren't comfortable in a space of not knowing. No. Because it's taken us this long to get there. Right, for sure. Well, so and you, expanding and when you think about, that capacity is important for, for sure. And when you think about how much you've invested in your life to get to that point, like you know, yes. like I, like for example, that I invested in my career, that you invested in your yes. career, and like you've spent all that time, and then you're like, okay, now what? Now can I really learn something new, or I'm going to suck at it? When you used to, when you're coming from a place of mastery, it's really hard to get back to sucking. It, it, it is. And there's an entitlement there that around the mastery. This is another thing I see and I saw yes. it in myself. So, so, you know, back to the mastermind group that I didn't really belong in. The right. first assignment that I had was to do a webinar and to keep doing the webinar until I'd sold a million dollars worth of product. I'm going to tell you what, I did 50 webinars and wow. did not nail it 50 times. And I would be done. I would throw myself on the ground right? Oh my God, I just did it again, right? How how is this not working for me? And I was so caught up in the procedure and the results that it never occurred to me to lean back into my mastery to say, how do I make this my own? How do I take what I know and repurpose this and make it my own so I can slay it? And once I did that, once I stopped trying to learn a new thing, and instead leaned into how can I 
use what I have to master this thing, right? Then it shifted for me. But at the beginning, I had a sense of entitlement. Same way when I came into the online space, I thought, you know, I've been doing marketing for 25 years, right? If Marie Forleo can launch a course, she was a hip hop dancer. I have to be faster at it than she was. This was, was my thought. If she can do it, I can do it. That is not the case. There is a, <laughs> there's a whole lot to this. Yeah. So, so I think we have a, kind of an entitlement around wanting to get from A to B very quickly. Yeah. And in that entitlement, we lose track of the path from A to B, which is taking everything we've learned and all this knowledge and wisdom that we've amassed and applying it to the route to make it our own. Yeah. Oh gosh. That is so, I mean, I, as you're talking, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. That's so, that's so me <laughs> in so many ways. But when I think about, you know, when I got to that point where I was like, okay, well you can sit here on your high horse or you can make something new. What yes. are you going to do? <laughs> right? What are you going to do? And then it's like, gonna okay, do? I'm going to humble myself to like, I know nothing and I'm going to learn from the ground up. I mean, just literally what I've learned about podcasting, for example, is yes. like, you know, like it's, I learned things I never, ever thought I would ever But know. the things that you're learning when you come to the podcast, the podcast is still all about your mastery. Yeah, it's still exactly. all about the things that you've you have really nailed over time, right? The things that make you who you are in such a in such a really rich way, and that kind of pivot. It's so beautiful. Like I I have women who have I have a client who's a third degree or fourth degree black belt, and she spent her whole life teaching young people martial arts. And now she teaches busy female executives how to master their own energy. Mm. And so there's this shift in how she spends her day, what she's rewarded with, all of that. And she did have to learn. She is in the process of how do I show up online and how do I package these products and how do I get people to respond and how do I make video, right? All these things. Mm -hmm. But this is not the mastery of what she's teaching. No. Right? And (laughs) correct. Yeah. And so I think we have this idea that we have to begin again, but you're not really beginning again. You're just mix remixing it. Yeah. Right. It's a remix, midlife remix. Yeah. If you look at learning as a lifelong endeavor, like you're never, like you said, you never know everything. Like you need to keep learning because the world is constantly changing and how you do business today and how you put yourself out there today, five years from now is going to be totally different. So if you're totally, if you're not willing to kind of open the door and say, I know nothing and I'm willing to keep learning, then yeah. And, you know, little secret, I think that a lot of women don't recognizes that if you don't give your brain a problem to solve, it's going to come up with one. <laughs> Ain't so, that the so truth? For me, <laughs> the learning is sort of supplied problem without yeah. that. And that I think that's what happened to me with my agency by and large. It was, right. well, I'm not really solving the problems anymore. I do strategy. I only have to show up so many hours a day. And then it was just, you know, me and my thoughts. And that's a, there's a lot of problem manufacturing that goes on when (laughs) then that's all you got. Yeah, that is so true. So for the women who are listening to this podcast and there's, I know there's more than one of them who are going, yes, I'd really (laughs) like to start that thing. What, what do you, what's your three pieces of advice for them? Piece number one would be that to identify specifically what's the problem that you can solve for right. a specific group of people in a new way, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, 
The women who really nail it are the ones who say, this is back to what we talked about earlier. How am I going to contribute? Right. Who will serve and in what way? And it's really critical that that way be tied to your mastery because that's what's going to separate you from everybody else is this proprietary system, this thing that makes me me. Yeah. And then the second thing is to really figure out where's the payday. Mm. Right. I think women miss this. And I see a lot of women in midlife who decide they're going to start businesses or make the career shift or whatever it is. And there, there's a, there's a pendulum swing to, well, it's not about the money. Right. But the truth is at the end of the day, we're keeping score with the money. And so finding out how we're going to contribute and then finding out what the payday really is, how do I manage the payday? That's, that's really the second piece of it. Right. And then the third piece of it really is how do I use my voice? Mm. Because words matter. And using our voice, whether it's, you know, your written voice or through a podcast or social media or coaching or what, however you're going to show up, this idea that I stand for something that matters or I back something that matters or I'm going to speak out about something that matters, it gives all of it meaning. And mm-hmm. now we're, that we're doing it for someone else, just like you said. It's very easy for me to get up in the morning and say, I got to show up because these women need me. Yeah. Versus I got to get up because, you know, I need to pay the bills or because I said I would or because I can. Yeah. So I think those three pieces, like really understanding the problem that I solve and where's the payday and how do I make it matter, those three things, I think, catapult women into a next level life, life experience. Yeah, for sure. And just going back to the money thing too, again, it's this, you know, selflessness, like you will not, you will not be able to serve anybody if you are poor and living on the street because you can't make money. So if really, you know, so making money is about service as far as I'm concerned. And it's about, (laughs) I think women need to see other women in power and greatness. And you can't be in power and greatness if you don't have an understanding of receiving compensation for what you do. Yeah. You know, we need to be compensated for what we do and we need to hold ground on that. Uh, Every single midlife woman that I've met and that I've worked with has the capacity to be a premium brand right? Like every single midlife woman I know is a Louis Vuitton or a Rolex or every single one. Yeah. And the idea isn't, oh, you know, I I feel uncomfortable stepping into that or how do I, who am I to blah, 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 right? right? It's instead, it's how do I serve at a level? How do I create something at a level that I'm really expressing who, you know, I mean, shoot, I'm a 50 year brand. Right. Like, exactly. There's solidity and longevity and, you know, engineering here <laughs> that people yeah, should true. pay for. So I, I, I think uh, ownership of that money piece yeah. is, it makes, it, it, cha- it shifts everything. Yeah. And there's a lot that we just have to unpack to get to that place. Like, again, like all of the limitations and the, you know, the limiting beliefs and, you know, the disowning of our power and all of that stuff that we have yes. to unlearn to get to that place where we can stand in the position of a premium brand and be well paid for it. Yeah. Totally. And I, you know, it's funny, I I was, I tease women that when I did corporate branding, I never had to, 
you know, I had a room full of 55 year old men at the bank that were going to raise ATM fees. I never had to convince them they were worthy to do it. Right. <laughs> there was never the a moment where I had to say, Hey guys, no, you're worth it. You're worthy. Right. You, they, it was, it was not part of the equation. Now me yeah. guiding women through branding, that mindset piece, that whole worthiness piece is the first piece. Yeah. And I think the work that you do too is like, and especially like with women and money is so important because when you look at the alarming stats of like, first of all, the comparison between men and women living below the poverty line past the age of 50, it's like the the gap is massive. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like, we need to be teaching more women to be feel empowered and to be able to put themselves out there and command what they're worth because they're so busy, you know, taking care of other people, you know, maybe they're looking after aging parents at this yes. point, you know, maybe they've gotten sick, but whatever it is, divorce, right? They've been feeling disempowered or have put in a, a position of being disempowered. And yeah, they've they never, reflect, never right, been taught. They've never been taught. Exactly. And you see it in the stats, like the difference between men and women over 50 living below the poverty line is stark. Like in it's the, massive. In the- it was the early 70s in the United States before women could even have bank accounts without men. Isn't that alarming? So the idea that we get to 50 or 60 and we don't understand how to read a profit and loss statement or a balance sheet or manage credit or understand how our credit scores are determined or build wealth over time or where she w- we mm-hmm. should invest, how would we know these things? Exactly. Exactly. So, and then, and then the story we tell ourselves is I'm bad at that. Of course. Oh, I'm bad at that. I've always, yeah. been, I, I would say at least half of the women who come into my programs don't know their numbers at all. Yeah. And they, they're, they're they, what, what they think is I'm bad at it. I don't, I've never been good at that. And I have that story too. My husband and I joke about math. He calls it my math and his math, right? Like it, my math <laughs> is not really attached to facts, which is, you know, fine, but it's, it, it is a long standing story. And overcoming that story is the so oh powerful God. that when you step into the overcoming that story, the power, it's like unleashed. Yeah. Gosh, that's so true. Because I always say, yeah, I'm arts and crafts. I'm not math. <laughs> yeah, right. right. And you know, that may well be the case because you choose that. But yes. what do you make from your arts and crafts? Exactly. Right? Here's the profit from the arts and crafts. Because yeah. if you do arts and crafts all day and money's and it's cha-ching, 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 awesome. Yeah, exactly. But you're right. It's just yeah. yet another limiting belief. And everybody's keeping score that way. So if we're going to keep score that way, we have to play the game that way. Or yeah. we're all, we'll always lose. Yeah. Well, and like, we have to play that game if we're going to change the paradigm. We should. Right? Like if we, like we, the only way to change the paradigm is for us to step up and act like leaders, the leaders that we are to step yep. in, to claim the power that we own, right? Yeah. To be the teachers and the leaders and the way showers, like that's who Absolutely. we are. And we just need to claim that position. And when we claim that position, the world is going to be a very, very different place. So yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That is my, that's my mission. And I know that's your mission. So (laughs) we're well on the way. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, I so appreciate you um, spending this time with us and where can um, women find more Juju Hook? Jujuhook.com. There's always something going on. There's always a freebie there. There's always a, an upcoming event, some type of a a program, one-on-one stuff, group stuff. It's always there. Okay, we will put that in the show notes, but for those listening who want to write it down, it's jujuhook.com. Correct. 
All right. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to doing this again. I think there's other things we could probably talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.